0: This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: Hello and welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where we're all about ideas, creativity, and innovation. One of the objectives for the show is we bring on top guests, where we introduce you to some of the top innovators. You get a chance to show, you, tell you their story so that you can kinda see what they went through to go from idea to innovation. Now one of the most common topics I get asked about is around culture and whether or not it's supportive or whether or not it's even important in support of innovation efforts. Uh, Many times when I get those inquiries, people are either trying to complain about the culture of the organization they're currently with or they're starting a new company and they wanna understand how to go about the process of defining culture. Now, culture in some cases can be viewed as a fuzzy concept, and a lot of people just say, you know, can you really measure it? Can you really design it? Can you really um, architect a culture for an organization? Now, if you go back into the archive the past 11 years of, of the Killer Innovation Show, you'll find lots of shows where I talk about culture, and specifically around innovation culture. But rather than listening to me again, kind of get on my innovation culture rant, I've invited a special guest this week. Uh, Dr. Natalie Bermgaden is the founder and chief psychologist for Roundpeg. Roundpeg is a unique firm. It's a firm that specializes in working with teams and entire organizations around understanding the culture you have, the culture that you're hiring in when you hire people, the culture you're losing when people leave your organization, and helping leaders and organizations really think about those important elements of culture that ultimately can help compound or leverage your success. Now, Natalie is based in Boulder, Colorado. She's joining us by phone. The funny part is, is I live in Colorado, and normally I would have done this show uh, face-to-face, but this week I happen to be in Florida. So, Natalie's dialing in from Boulder. I'm connected to the studio here from, uh, from lovely Panama City, Florida this week. But I want to welcome Natalie. Natalie, welcome to the show, and I really appreciate you joining us today.
2: Thanks so much, Phil. It's a pleasure to talk with you today.
1: Well, great. So before we get jumping in, because, you know, give the audience a little bit of insight. Natalie and I have met over the last couple of months. Um, We both have a passion around culture. Her firm actually specializes in it. It's one of the few firms that I have found that really can, can dig into the science and and help us all understand what that really means. But before we get too deep into, because Natalie and I will be off to the races here in a second, I want to give you just a few minutes to give the audience some background on you and what is Roundpeg.
2: Sure. Uh, So a little bit about um, Roundpeg. Roundpeg is a culture and engagement software platform. And its, its main mission is to make it very simple for folks like us here on the show listening in today to be able to bring real rigorous measurement to understanding what's actually happening in your organization's culture and to make very data-informed decisions about how and if to shift your culture in order to enhance, in, in this case, innovation, and also provide then web-based applications that make it very um, simple to hire, develop, and engage employees in culture alignment. Um I am one of the uh three co-founders of Roundpag and I'm the culture psych nerd so I'm uh fortunately surrounded by a bevy of, of phenomenal technologists who are able to take all the the uh data and research that we've uncovered over the last 6 years uh of operating as a software company and really translate that information into um a really slick easy to use interface that even really busy business leaders can use to help manage their culture.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's kind of funny you referred to yourself as a culture nerd. I've never mm-hmm. uh, quite <laughs> heard that term before. Um, so, I mean, one of the common questions everybody has is, you know, culture comes across as kind of being this fuzzy thing. Can you really measure it? Is there, you know, some history around proof of being able to understand and, and actually measure it and track it within an organization?
2: Right. I think um, it's one of my favorite things to talk about when thinking about culture because for so long we have thought of culture as really a fuzzy, nebulous concept, and that's how it's been played out in the business arena. And yet, certainly over the last decade, we've had more and more research and literature that support the fact that Cultural wiring within an organization is measurable, and the biggest body of literature that supports that is is that we have about four decades of personality research that tells us that as individuals, as just people in the workplace, we are pretty hardwired in terms of our basic, most core values, the, the small subset of values that most describes each of us as individuals. And we know from uh, from the literature that those values, whatever they are, tend to remain quite stable over the course of our adult lives, regardless of the industry we're in or the position we have in a, within an organization early or late in our career. And most importantly, they describe and predict more than any other factor how we're going to behave while we're at work. And... What's important to know is that culture, while we can have a lot of really complex and, um, and detailed definitions of what culture is, that at its fundamental basis, culture is how you do things in your company, how you communicate, how you make decisions, what gets rewarded. And regardless of the values that you have on the wall, the way that's really happening is determined by those values that your people hold, those core values that are so inherent to who they are. So if you can understand your people's wiring, what their core values are, you have tremendous and rigorous insight into the actual culture that's living and breathing within your organization because there is one for better or worse, whether you're measuring it or not.
1: Well, I think there's also you know a lot of people think of culture as when the HR department publishes some new poster and you know we there's a little the little rah rah thing and here's kind of our core attributes that define the organization. In a lot of organizations that I've seen, they they, they kind of go through the motion of culture, but I think the hard part is is really translating that. So, it, it, your thoughts on that with regards to. Kind of this perception of the old you know, of culture within, like the HR department definition, and what it is you think is really that under, underlying uh, kind of foundational piece within an organization. How, how, is, am I getting it right? You know, at least that's the perception yeah, that you I get when I talk to HR departments. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think those are those are really good distinctions when thinking about culture to be making. And so, a, a couple of thoughts. One is that we think about the difference between culture and and, um, and perks or benefits or outputs of culture. And so sometimes what the HR department might be um, displaying or what might be communicated with an organization are really outputs of culture. So to say, hey, we're, you know, this is our new policy around vacation or we're going to start providing meals to employees or this is our maternity, you know, we have these new maternity benefits. Those um, are not culture, right? Those are our communications that are often provided by, HR, other pieces of the organization, but they're outputs of culture. Culture is, is at a much deeper level, how are you doing things? Um, do you uh, really value collaboration in your organization, risk-taking, um, being team-oriented? And I also wanted to make another distinction, which really also speaks to your question, Phil, which is um, the difference between what we think of at Roundpeg as aspirational culture and actual culture. An aspirational culture is what we think of as the flag that, that you plant on top of the mountain as a leader. The, where you want to go. And those might be the values on the wall, and perhaps those are what HR is displaying. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But that's an important aspect of culture. It's important to communicate to an organization where you want to be. The trick is not assuming that that's where you are. Merely communicating, delivering uh, the culture to the people is not enough to make a culture. So we need to really understand the difference between where we aspire to be and how our people are actually wired so you can manage that gap.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important part, right? It's the it's that understanding of that difference. And part of it also is, is who actually owns or who plants that flag, as you said, as a leader. I've seen a lot of organizations where the uh, – you know the the CEO has delegated the role of culture person to somewhere lower in the organization, and it becomes very hard, right, from the standpoint of an organization to take that, follow that, follow that leader piece. We're coming up on the on the break here, so Natalie, what I'd ask is, as we come back after the commercial break, I'd be interested in understanding kind of that the role of leaders really in helping to define and also model uh, culture when we come back. So. Uh, stay right where you're at. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have Natalie joining us in the next segment. Uh, in the meantime, if you're looking to learn more about ideas, creativity, innovation, and even culture, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., send an email to innovate at killerinnovations.com. Uh, everything we talk about here all in this show today will be posted up on the show notes over at Killer Innovations. So feel free to jump over to the site and check that out. Um, if you've got questions or comments, go ahead and put those into the comments and we'll reply back to you. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I'm Phil McKinney and this is Killer Innovations.
0: This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing, killer innovation.
1: I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome back to our second segment with Natalie Baumgartner, who's the co-founder and chief psychologist for Roundpeg, a firm that specializes in organizations understanding and transforming their culture, as Natalie Uh, Announced in the first segment that she refers to herself as a culture nerd. So I'm going to use that uh, name from now on. (laughs) So so Natalie, let's pick up where we left off. We were ending up the the first segment. uh, We got into a little bit of a discussion on uh, leadership and particularly the leaders who kind of plant the flag, the aspirational culture. How important is that leadership role when it comes to uh, culture within an organization?
2: Well, I know, Phil, you and I, you know, share the perspective that culture really needs to be owned by the CEO and senior leaders. I think of culture as absolutely the foundation of an organization, the bedrock of a company. And we know from uh, both anecdotal and empirical research that culture is the single biggest business driver that's impacting business performance that you have in your organization. So, it's hard to imagine it not being owned by um, CEOs and senior leaders. And I and I think that leaders have um, really a, sort of a, a three-point job in terms of their role with culture. The first is really to gain clarity and provide clarity around where they want the culture to be. That's that flag on top of the mountain. And when we work with senior leaders, we really encourage them to think, to keep this simple. If, if culture is going to be on the top five, keep you up at night list, we have to keep it simple. Not simplistic, but simple. And so I really think about what are the three to five, no more than that, most core values that you really want driving your organization, three to five. We know that as people, we can really hardly manage much more to that than that uh, at any one time. And then you need to understand what is the gap between that flag, the where you want to be, and where you are, who your people are, how they're wired. Um, Most culture change initiatives fail. Over 80% of culture change initiatives fail. And one of the pieces of research that we've dug up around why is because leaders understand where they want to be, but they don't know where they're starting from. And so it's a lot like feeling around in the dark. So one, you need to understand where you want to be. Two, you need to understand where you are, how your people are wired. And then three, leaders really need to um, provide the, the mandate or the direction to bridge that gap. So aligning everything their company does, how they hire, how they develop their employees, how they engage their people, make sure all of that is aligned with, with that flag on top of the mountain so that gap can be bridged.
1: So, you talk about three to five, well you know we can only hold so many things in our head right you know in fact there's a there 's a story about why phone numbers started off only being mm-hmm. seven digits because that would be the optimal number that people could actually hold in their head so in three to five um, those ultimate those foundational elements or attributes around the culture, what are the three to five most common ones you 've come across within organizations? I would probably make a just a gander that. You know, you know, uh, teamwork, maybe integrity. Am I right, or what are the kind of the three to five most common that you've seen as kind of the foundational bedrock culture elements?
2: Yeah, well, you know, what you were, what you, the ones you just mentioned, we see a lot in terms of aspirational culture. So where people want to be. Yes, integrity is one we often hear about. Collaboration or team orientation um, is, is another one that we often hear about. Um, you know, sometimes depending on the, the the focus of the organization or the business imperatives, we might hear about risk taking. Or, but when we start to look at actual culture, when we use Roundpeg software and we measure how com- people are really wired within companies, what are their these stable core values that the individuals share in common? We see a phenomenal range of values. And we have had our assumptions about what's going on in a company blown out of the water more times than I can recount. So while there's a lot of continuity around where leaders want to be in terms of aspiration, there's a lot of diversity in terms of what's actually happening in the company. And so... Um, you know, one of the examples that I think really sheds such a sharp light on this is an organization, Fortune 50 company that, that we worked with, that Roundpeg worked with, that was really a technology company who was in a, you know, really on the track to want to outpace the competition, felt like their, um, their design department really was not risk taking enough, and so they were going down the road to have a culture change initiative around increasing risk taking in order to innovate where well, we gathered data on how their people were actually wired. So risk-taking, not uncommon for a company that's innovative as an aspirational value to have. But when we looked at how their, their people in this particular group were wired, risk-taking was one of the bottom values. So it wasn't strongly held by their people. But they had a number of other values that really were critical in shifting in order to be innovative. And in their case, it actually was sharing information freely, which is similar to a value you and I have talked about, um, Phil, in terms of that kind of candid um, communication. And so once they realized that that value existed in this team and they could really leverage that to innovate, they took off. So that is a long, um, just a, a, an example of, of why it's so important to um, understand where you want to be, but... Perhaps as importantly, if not more importantly, understand who your people are so you can figure out what levers to pull to, in order to innovate.
1: Yeah, and real quick, as we go to the break, I got one quick question I'm looking for here also. And that is, you just mentioned about the issues of maybe I've got good, good candor, good communications, but I'm lacking in uh, you know, maybe risk-taking does that play a role then when you think about the hiring process? And we're getting ready to go to break, so I'm just going to ask you just to give a quick response to that about the hiring process real quick.
2: Yeah, we know that culture fit explains about 89% of an individual's ability to thrive within a particular role in a particular company. So absolutely, the extent to which an individual is wired in a way that's really consistent with the culture you're trying to build, you're trying to drive, very much predicts their ability to perform and your organization's ability to perform.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important point. That if you have a gap in your team and culture where you've got people who are really good on, you know, other elements, but you're missing risk, hire for that risk. You can inject that. Everybody doesn't have to have the risk profile. Just those people. You have to have enough people in there that can push the organization um, to take those risks, which is absolutely, um, you know, fundamental and absolutely, uh, absolutely critical. So as we go to the commercial break here, we got to go pay a few bills here. Um, if you're looking to learn more about culture and culture and innovation, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., send an email to innovate at And in fact, what I'll do is I'll, if you go ahead and text that INNOVATE to 33444, I'll send you a copy of a, of a free, I'll just send it to you. You can use it however you want. A short uh, two-hour course that I did on innovation of which culture actually is in that is in that. So go ahead and text that and uh, I'll send you out an email with all the links to that, and you can uh, use that as kind of to augmentate uh, what we're talking about here. So stay right there. We're going to be right back after this commercial break. We're going to Natalie and I are going to get into a little bit of a discussion around transforming organizations and the elements that are specifically important to uh, the uh, innovation cultures. What are those right elements that you have to have foundational in the uh, the innovation culture? And it's it can contain some of those culture elements, but they can also be uh, different. So stay right there. We'll be right back. I'm Phil McKinney, and this is Killer Innovations.
0: Biz Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: Welcome back to Killer Innovations. As we took the break here, I pointed out two items that I wanted to make sure we got discussed in this last segment. One is, is the transformation of cultures, You're kind of going where you are today and where you want to go. And then we also want to jump in and talk about specifically uh, what we've seen as kind of the core elements for those cultures that specifically focus on innovation. So let's start with the first topic, Natalie. When you think about transforming cultures, when you're working with an organization that maybe has a, an understanding, a little bit of today's culture, and you, they know where they want to go to, what's the process or how should leaders be thinking about how to transform a culture if, if that's their objective?
2: right so you know we're a data company and and that's where we begin which is so the the first step um when we're working with an organization and i think is really important for leaders to be thinking about when they're thinking about their culture is one to be able to identify what are those 3 to 5 measurable business objectives that are most critical for your organization over the coming year um we all know as, as business leaders and in and particularly within large organizations it's challenging to whittle down to three to five, but if you really force yourself to think about what's measurable, you want to you hone in on what those are. Step two, then, is really to evaluate. What are those values that are needed to drive those business objectives? And, and we really focus on not making assumptions. So we don't assume because you're in a particular industry or you're a particular um, stage in the life cycle of your company, early stage versus mid-stage, late stage, We've learned um, after reviewing data for from you know hundreds, if not thousands, of companies, that we can't assume what's necessary to uh to transform your organization. So understanding what are your business objectives, very simply put, what are the values that are needed to drive those measurable um business milestones? And then you need to understand um, what is the what is the gap between those values you need and what you have in your organization. And the simpler we can keep it as business leaders the better. So if you understand 3 to 5 business objectives, you understand maybe 10 values that you really need to drive those. Adaptability perhaps, uh detail orientation, maybe in your company um as you're listening right now you're thinking it's being competitive. What whatever they are for you, then you need to know, do I have it or don't I? Maybe I have it in one part of the company, but not in another part of the company. So really understanding where you need to be and where you are is imperative if you're going to really effectively transform your company.
1: Yeah, I think that's critical. And you know, a lot of organizations are out there, you know, thinking about or in the process of trying to transform, particularly new CEOs that are coming into an established organization. So I can speak from a little bit of personal experience on coming into an organization that's been around for 25 years as the CEO and, and working on that transformation. And my one, uh, I guess, perspective of being a CEO and working this transformation over the last, uh, I guess, a little over three years since I took over as the CEO is patience, because it takes a lot longer and it is a lot harder than you could ever imagine.
2: Right. We always talk about it's like turning the Titanic, changing culture, Um yeah. And and that's part of why most culture change initiatives fail is because is because we don't as you know as leaders it's difficult to have that patience and sometimes we might not even have that um, sort of presence of mind or be able to pause long enough to understand that um, that it is going to take time and so I think you're absolutely right even when you understand where you're going uh, you know you still it's still a, a road um, to hoe for sure.
1: But I can tell you, at least from my experience, when you're in an, when you're in an organization that has an incredibly well-defined, robust structure that is aligned to achieve the business objectives, the power that gives you to magnify the output of your team is just you know, it, there's no other alternative. I mean, it, if you're going to achieve success, you know, punch above your weight, no matter the size of your organization, your ability to align your culture and align to your business objectives. There's nothing more powerful in making that happen. So let's take a shift real, real quick. I want to talk a little bit about the elements of innovation culture. What we've been talking about here is fairly open on on culture as a general uh, piece, but let's talk specifically about those cultural elements um, that actually help magnify those organizations that have identified um, innovation and, and highly innovative work as being one of those. Business objectives they they want to have, and and this is a little bit of a leading question because Natalie and I last week were having a, a very robust set of conversations about culture and innovation culture specifically. So I'm going to let Natalie go first, and then depending on her answer, I'll uh, either agree or counter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So um, I was actually I was um, have been really interested in understanding uh, the the perspective of folks. Like you, Phil, who work deeply in the world of, of innovation and innovative col- companies and cultures, because from a pure culture standpoint, um, my perspective and our experience has been that that there isn't a single right culture. That it re- what really predicts performance um, and ultimately profitability in organizations is culture alignment. So. Um, understanding what those, that handful of values is for your organization and then, um, obsessively aligning how you hire, how you develop, how you engage your people with those. That we know actually those organizations who are able to do that, regardless of what the values are, are six times more profitable than their competition. Now, when we start to think about specifically co- companies looking to innovate, we do, you know, we, Roundpeg Peg, um, are really clear that we don't have a template for innovation because it really depends on specifically what those business, measurable business objectives are. However, I'll share with you some of the values that we see, and you and I talked about some of these um, um, for sure, Phil. So, you know, we do sometimes see um, risk-taking being a more strongly held value in those organizations. Um, another value, being quick to take advantage of opportunities, so being opportunistic, being decisive. Um, sharing information freely is one that we often see. So having that free flow of information back and forth within organizations is certainly one that we, that we sometimes see more often in organizations that are really um, focused on hitting innovative, uh, measurable business goals and really trying to transform the way that they do business and what they provide to the marketplace. So we see a lot of different values um we look at thirty six so those that's kind of where we where we our starting point, but the ones I named are certainly some that we that we often see more often in organizations that are really well aligned around innovation um and yeah. yeah i think
1: those i think those are all great points i think you know the way I think about it and the way I teach it in the in the innovation boot camp and in the workshops is around the word care c a r e so care for us is, c stands for candor communications collaboration. So that free flow of information, candor meaning, you know, you're not playing passive-aggressive uh, kind of games. You're out there. You're you're putting. You feel comfortable in putting your ideas on that you're not going to get attacked. At the same time, they're going to get a fair airing and true consideration. A is lean towards action or, as you said, opportunistic. Take advantage of the opportunities that that fall in front of you. But also think about it from an agility perspective. How fast can your organization respond? Or are you kind of stuck in a very process-oriented. R for us is risk. Do you have, are you willing to take risks? Are your corporate antibodies um, guided along the whole process of they may be uncomfortable as a corporate antibody, but take the risk? And the last one, the E for us is empowerment. Do the people in your organization feel like they have the permission to go off there? and uh, and be able to do uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of activities in our case we grant every employee a thousand dollars even the front receptionist so everybody gets a thousand dollars a year they can do anything with it no permission required the only requirement is they have to stand up in front of the entire organization and uh, and give that feedback so c-a-r-e is the way we think about it that is not the only elements but those we have found or at least in my working with companies on their innovation culture are kind of those core elements. So, Natalie, I want to thank you for the time that you spent with us today. This has been fantastic, and I'm sure we're going to have opportunities to bring you back on the show again because this is not a topic we can cover in such a short period of time. But if people are learning, wanting to uh, learn more about you, where can they find you?
2: Uh, please check out our our, our company's website, www.roundpeg, that's R O U N D P E G G And you can also shoot me an email, natalie at roundpeg.com. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. It was a total blast and pleasure, and I look forward to getting to chat about culture again with you.
1: Oh, that'd be great. So if you're looking to learn more about culture, ideas, creativity, send the word innovate to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., send the email to innovate at killerinnovations.com. When we come back, I've got a great killer question this week around customizing product. I think if you're in a product business, you're definitely gonna to wanna to listen to this and this one will really cause you to think differently and think differently about the products and services that you've got out there. So stay tuned, when we come back, we're gonna exercise our creativity muscle. I'm Phil McKinney and this is Kill Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network.
0: Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing, Killer Innovation.
1: I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome back to Killer Innovation. So are you ready to exercise your creative muscle? Uh, do we need to do a little mental uh, gymnastics here, a little jumping jacks to get warmed up? So what is this week's killer question? Remember, when I say a killer question, I'm talking about a question that will cause you to look at your business, your products, your services, your customers differently than you've ever looked at them. So what is this week's killer question? Question is, is can I create an on demand version of my product or service? Can I create an on demand, not pre manufactured or sitting on the shelf? Can I create an on demand version of my product? So for instance, do you need to have a finished product in order to make a sale? Do you have to physically have produce a bunch of these, stick them on the shelf? Is there any way that not offering a finished product would actually give you an advantage or even become a selling point? Suppose that your manufacturing costs appear to have gotten as low as they can without really sacrificing quality. And even if your costs are acceptable to you, you still have to deal with the lag time between ordering a product and having it manufactured and shipped to you. And believe me, i looked at supply chain logistics in my previous life a lot. Typically, you know, when you order something in China and they stick it on a boat, you're looking at six weeks to get it to your warehouse. Perhaps this lag time caused you to lose sales, right? Somebody wants it, they want it now, they don't want to wait for the restocking, or you missed the window of opportunity for your product if you're aiming to respond quickly to a a short-lived fad, or you've missed calculated, uh, for instance, seasonal. You know, you had a Christmas product, you ran out, it was the hot product, and you can't restock it fast enough. Is there any other option besides relying on this manufacturing and supply chain? And again, this is a manufacturing supply chain that's been around for decades. Is there a way to disrupt this? Now, my children have long outgrown toys, but I do have my grandkids, um, and I get dragged to go to do visits at Build a Bear. Now, Build a Bear, like a paint your own pottery craze that preceded it, doesn't offer a finished product. In fact, the whole selling point is that you create your own customized product in the store. Now, these types of businesses are offering a dual product. Both the end result, be it a stuffed animal and a personalized costume, or I love Papa coffee mug, and the chance to create something without taking responsibility for gathering materials or cleaning up the mess it generates. A stuffed toy may feel like a low-risk product, but children's tastes, interests, and even the fads uh, are as fickle as an adult's. Just ask any parent. Once you start adding the layers of design and complexity to a toy, clothes, accessories, pre-recorded sounds, you risk creating something that misses the mark with your target audience build a bear strategy is very clever in that it allows them to create components rather than finished products as inventory. You never have to run the risk of being stuck with 10,000 astronaut bears the week after the latest Pirates of the Caribbean opens, or conversely having 10,000 pirate bears in anticipation of a hit only to find the franchise is run out of gas and the kids don't care. There are two points to take from this. The first is that these companies are reducing their risk of having a stockroom full of faddish, previously popular products that they now can't sell. The second is, is that they're able to charge their customers a premium for the pleasure of assembling the final product. They've been able to persuade their customers that's, that down is up. They don't offer a fully finished product for sale. And if you do want their product, you'll have to assemble it yourself. It's absolute genius. Home bakers have experienced a similar shift in how they make a product. For example, a cake. Now, when I was a kid, my grandma would always be the one to make my cake from scratch every year. The cake cost maybe a dollar in commodity goods. When she passed away, my mom took over the job. She'd buy a cake mix, add an egg, some oil, some water, and that was it. Now, of course, the cake was more expensive because the convenience factor of having Pre-made cake mix. Now, when I was eight, my mom got a job as a real estate agent and really didn't have much time to do baking anymore. So she'd order a cake, which is probably twenty-five dollars, for an even greater convenience factor. These days, if you have young kids, a cake, either homemade or store-bought, no longer cuts it. Instead, you're paying hundreds of dollars for a party at McDonald's or uh, an ice cream store or wherever. There's a relationship here between the amount you're paying and the experience you're receiving. Selling these products is about more than simple convenience. Manufacturers have to walk a thin line between making a product so easy that it feels like cheating and so complex that the user sees no value in the supposed convenience. When cake mixes first came out, they were really simple. All you had to do was add water, maybe an egg and oil. But women didn't like it because it felt too easy. They liked the, they they liked the, They hadn't contributed anything to it and couldn't claim any pride in making it. So cake mixes were altered to require the eggs in the the oil. And that product took off. Pillsbury Doughboy ads played on this simple idea. Their sales pitch is less about the superior taste or ingredients than it is about allowing the mom the satisfaction of putting hand-baked rolls in front of her family. Same with Sandra Lee's semi-homemade TV show. Both of those brands allow their users to bypass the guilt they feel at not being able to offer their family the full experience of homemade meals. The user gets the pleasure of the last step. If you want to build this kind of emotional connection with your customer, you need to look at how you can offer them creative, I did this kind of experiences. You want to give your customer a chance to feel like they've done something special. So the question is, is can you give them an opportunity to take ownership of the construction process? So here are some sparking points. What benefits would you get if you were able to sell your product such as the customer assembles it? Could assembling it be pitched as a learning, bonding, and more authentic process? And can you increase the perceived value and hence the cost of your product by emphasizing its real-time availability? So get your idea notebook out. Set aside 10 minutes every day. It's not much time now, but it could have a huge impact on your career. So go ahead, exercise this, try this out, and see what ideas you come up with. Now, beyond this show, I'm posting regularly on the blog, on Facebook, and LinkedIn, and over on Medium. If you want to stay up with everything on creativity and innovation and culture, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the US, send an email to innovate at killerinnovations.com, and I will update you on all that information. Don't forget to check out killerinnovations.com. Also, go over and check out Biz Radio, uh biztalkradio.com. You can uh, check out all the other great shows. You can download the mobile app. You can listen to Killer Innovations live each week. Um, you can also check out all the great shows over there. Um, today's show was engineered by Brandon and Jeremiah. Yes, they've tagged team me with two people now to keep me on track for the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed this week's show. Next week, um, we will have uh, a great topic, and uh, you want to check back in. You also, check out the entire 11-year history of the show in its archive. You can download that over at killinnovations.com. And I'm Phil McKinney. Don't let your innovation critics get you down. Keep on innovating, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
0: The opinions you hear on BizTalk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, BizTalk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on BizTalk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about BizTalk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at
1: biztalkradio.com. BizTalk Radio.